Amen. That song will preach, won't it? <laughs> That's, uh, thank you, music team. That song is prayer, uh, a, a, a hope, a desire that's taking from our passage uh, this morning in Philippians chapter 3. So if you'll turn there to Philippians chapter 3, where we'll see the Apostle Paul saying that knowing the Lord Jesus, there is no greater thing, there is no greater joy, there is no other purpose in life that is greater than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we'll study here in this passage, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, a remarkable passage where the Apostle Paul is is very honest with us. He's very forthright in the way he was, the way he is, the way he hopes to be one day. And I think that we'll find a lot of application in this passage for us today as we search our own hearts, as we seek to know Christ more and more. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning, the most important thing that will be said or read. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Our Father, there are some very good, very hard truths here in your word. So by your spirit, we pray, would you open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts, that we may discern wonderful things here in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the dogs. My parents had a pastor years ago at the little country church that they attended. My younger brother and I were students at Mississippi State University, our mascot being the Bulldogs, and he came up to us after church one day and he said, you know, son, there's only one biblical institution in the state of Mississippi. And I said, okay, what's that? He said, well, uh, he was a Southern Miss grad, I know we have a few of those here, they're the the Eagles, he said, 
the Bible says, beware of the dogs. Okay? And the Bible says, do not rebel. I said, yeah, it does say that. He said, but we will soar on wings like eagles. So I had to tell you that joke because it came from this passage. Um, Look out for the dogs, the Apostle Paul says. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times the Apostle Paul gives a stern warning to the Philippian church to look out for these folks whom he does not mince words about. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. Who and what is he talking about? Well, Paul is referring to a group here called the Judaizers. The Judaizers show up several times in the, in the New Testament. Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. The whole book of Galatians is basically written about these Judaizers. And again, you want to see a fiery, spitting preacher, you go read Galatians and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the Judaizers. They were the ones who would come into these local new churches right after folks like the Apostle Paul and other ministers of the gospel had come in there to preach the gospel of grace by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And they would say to these new Christians, these new converts, hey, that's all well and good that you guys believe in Jesus and that you love him now, but if you really want to be part of the people of God, if you really want to be a part of the Israel God, you need to start coming to the synagogue with us. And you need to obey all these ceremonial laws. And then, oh, by the way, all the men need to line up and you need to be circumcised. (laughs) You know, you can imagine those guys going, what? (laughs) No, thank you. In other words, these crowd of Judaizers were not too happy about the spread of the gospel and the spread of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they had, in fact, rejected him. And they were trying to in a sense, stop the spread of gospel. Even, and the way they were doing it was by adding to it. They were essentially teaching that salvation is by works. They were teaching, sure, believe in Jesus, that's fine, but make sure you do this and this and this and this and this for you to be truly saved. In other words, the Judaizers were teaching that faith plus works is how one is saved. They believe that faith plus religion is what makes one a believer. And so what did the Apostle Paul have to say to this crowd? Again, he did not mince words. He was very harsh with them. He called them dogs. This was a term used to refer to pagans whom the Jews treated and and thought of as unworthy, who who were not part of the people of God. He called them evildoers. He was putting them on the, the same plane as those who committed murder and all other sorts of grievous sins. And he called them mutilators of the flesh. Again, comparing them to some of these other worldly, wild, cult, pagan, idolatrous nations who would cut themselves and things like that in religious ceremonies to try to please their God. This is who the Apostle Paul was comparing them to. Well, we might say that the dogs of our days are the false teachers as well. Those who seek to try to come in and add to the gospel of grace. Even worse, they forsake the gospel and they forsake the scriptures as the word of God. 
and they forsake the gospel altogether. These are the dogs of our day. And so we must be aware. We too must be on the lookout for those who would come and teach that salvation is any other way except by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because that is it. That is the formula. That is the orthodox scriptural formula for salvation. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Not by works. Not by religion. And so to drive this point home, the Apostle Paul basically takes us on an autobiographical autobiographical tour of his life here in this passage. And as he does this, he's causing the Philippian church, church to Rejoice, say, take joy in these things, because this is a theme that is repeated over and over in the, in the book of Philippians, is to have joy. And in verse 1, he'll say, finally, I think a better translation of that word would be uh, furthermore, because sometimes, you know, when a preacher says something like finally or my last point, people think, oh, he's about to wrap it up. Paul's not about to do that here. <laughs> He's, go, he, he's got a further argument to make here. He is not wrapping up his letter or concluding his thoughts here. He's trying to show them he's continuing this theme of unity in the church. And he's probably about to address something that he addressed to them in person. Probably before he left the Philippian church and went on his other missionary journeys, he probably said, hey, I want you to know there's reports of these Judaizers who are going to come in. And they're going to start telling you all these other things that you need to do to be saved. And I'm telling you, you need to look out for them, okay? Because they, they look nice. They, they seem to have good intentions, but they're not preaching the gospel of grace. And so he's writing to them to warn them again. This is what this passage really is about. And so let's get here into the, to the heart, to the truth here of this, this passage. It's is this. It's that a man, a woman, a person is made righteous in the sight of God, not by trusting in themselves, but by faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's the hallmark of this passage. That is what this Apostle Paul is teaching. Again, more doctrine here, justification by faith alone. And this theme is going to be explained for us by this stunning testimony of the Apostle Paul. And so that's how we'll look at this passage, really in two parts. You have first, Saul, a man of the flesh. You may remember the Apostle Paul's name before he was converted was Saul. So we have Saul, a man of the flesh. But then secondly, in this passage, we have Paul, a man in Christ. So let's look at these two parts. The first is... Saul, a man whose confidence was in the flesh, and he illustrates this for us in verses 3 through 6. And I just want to say as we get into this, as Paul begins to uh, give, again, an autobiography of his life and who he was apart from Christ, I think that the the truths of this passage are are so important to us. All of God's word is, is truth and applicable to us today and to train us in righteousness, but I think even more there are those of us sitting here in this congregation today who think, you know, I haven't really lived what others might call a rough life. I haven't had much jail time, and so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, life is great. I'm paying my bills. 
you know, I, I, think, I think I'm doing okay. I think God is good. In other words, not many of us have been saved from these extreme forms of sin or sinful lifestyles as we might define it. And because of that, it's, it's easy to sit here and listen to sermons, on, especially the sermons on sin, and, and think, well, that, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't need to think much about that. But this passage today, get ready. Your heart is a target and the arrows of the Word of God are coming because this is going to convict us in a huge way because this passage is confronting the notion that sin is not really a big deal for those who are living in nice, comfortable, moral lives here in Huntsville, Alabama. And the way the Word of God is going to do this is going to show you that if you are here this morning trusting in yourself, if your confidence is in yourself, the Apostle Paul says that is rubbish. Must have been a British translator doing this passage, right? We don't even have rubbish. In other words, it's worthless. It's like a pile of trash that's piled up in the alleyway. All the metaphors that, that Paul can come up with for trusting in yourself, it's just bad. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is crystal clear. We are to put no confidence in the flesh. Now, when you hear that word flesh, you're not to think about your skin and tissue that covers your, your, your skeleton, that, that covers your bones. Rather, when the Bible talks about the flesh, when the New Testament talks about the flesh, it's describing a person apart from Christ. In other words, it's describing our, our, our sinful nature, our human nature, our ourselves. I heard John Stott once say, take away the H and spell flesh backwards and you got self. That's who the flesh is, ourselves, our sinful, unregenerate nature. So that is who the flesh is. And the Bible says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And that's why it is completely unbiblical and just bad, silly advice when someone says, just follow your heart. Because if you're a Bible-believing Christian, the Bible says your heart is sinful and beyond cure. It says don't put any confidence in the flesh. Or if someone says, let your conscience be your guide. Nope, don't do that either. <laughs> Trust your gut. That's probably not a good idea either. Why are these such bad pieces of advice? Well, for starters, they're just silly worldly cliches. But more importantly... It teaches us and teaches others to put our confidence in ourselves, to trust ourselves rather than the Word of God, rather than the Spirit of God leading us. We are to put no confidence in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus alone. So a Christian is one who does not put their confidence in themselves, but in Christ. Put no confidence in the flesh. And to illustrate this truth, Paul brings up circumcision again. And the reason that he brings up circumcision, because circumcision was an outward, visible sign of an invisible reality. You may remember that circumcision was the covenant sign given to the people of God that they are in the covenant of grace. And it was a visible sign of what the Lord was doing, salvation by faith. But the Judaizers 
Remember those dogs, they believed that simply having the sign, that's what made them right with God. Much like today when folks say that you're not truly saved unless you have been baptized with water or unless you've been dunked or unless it was water from the Jordan River or if it was sprinkled. We believe these things do not have salvation power in themselves. They are an outward sign of an invisible reality. And so to all of this nonsense, the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 Christians, those who've trusted in Christ Jesus alone, they are the truly circumcised. The true circumcision are those who have a circumcised heart. That's what he says in Romans 2, 29. It's a changed heart. Those who truly belong to the Israel of God, those who are truly Abraham's children, those who are truly in the covenant of grace are the ones who do not put confidence in themselves, but have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to the Philippians and demonstrates to them who he was once apart from Christ. He talks about himself as Saul, a man of the flesh. And he shows if anyone thinks that they could earn salvation by their works, if anyone thinks they can be saved by putting their confidence in the flesh, he says, I am the poster child of of who this person who could boast in their flesh could possibly be. And so Paul wanted to show that if they think that putting their confidence in the flesh, in themselves, is what makes a person right with God, then he says no one, not anyone, could top the Saul, the Pharisee. And so he lists seven things here that show that he could boast confidently in his his accomplishments if he wanted. Let's look briefly at these seven things that are listed there in verses 6 and 7. Let's make a brief application. I wish we could, we could spend, I wish I wouldn't have chose this many verses to preach on, I mean, so, but we're going to try to move our way through them. Seven things. The first, he says here, look at my religion. Circumcised on the eighth day, he says. Paul had on his body the visible sign that he was right with God. How many of us can fall into this trap of thinking that just because we are American and raised by a Christian family in America that we're somehow special? Furthermore, children, let me just tell you, you can't put your hope in your parents' faith. It must be your trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, not your parents. It's your responsibility. We can't just look to your religion for salvation. Secondly, Paul mentions his nationality. He's of the people of Israel. He was not a a convert to, to Judaism. He was a true Israelite. Both of Paul's parents were ethnic Jews and somehow were able to raise him Jewish in a pagan culture. And again, I believe this is a grave danger for the church in the United States. I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have in this country. But our hope cannot be in our politics. And our hope cannot be in a nation 
that is on a track just like all the other big, awesome nations that have fallen in the history of the world. We can't put our hope there. Paul said, look at my tribe. I was a, am a Benjamite. The Benjamites were the strong ruling tribe of Israel. Those, that was the tribe from whom the kingship came from. So Paul was here addressing tribalism. And how often can we put our hope in our tribe? Look at my academic credentials. Look at the career that I have. Look at my social media status. Look at the zip code that I live in. Look who my favorite sports team is. On and on and on. We, we can get pretty prideful about our tribe, can't we? Paul addresses his culture. He was a Hebrew. Paul boasted in the fact that he did not succumb to the Hellenistic Greek culture of his day. He was proudly Jewish and again raised by Jewish parents. And again, sometimes we can fall into that trap of believing that just because we are exposing ourselves and our children to Christian things and Christian influences, that somehow that makes us Christian. It doesn't. Paul said, look at my morality. I was a Pharisee. Pharisees were those who subscribed to strict conformity to the law. There's 618 commands in the Old Testament that we have identified, and we will obey every single one of them to please God. And how pharisaical can we be sometimes by believing just because we haven't murdered anyone? Or, hey, I have no parking tickets. God must be pleased with me. I always drive the speed limit. We would all be stoned for that one, wouldn't we? Paul says, you want, you want to look at my past zeal? It's the sixth thing here. I was a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous for the, for the law and so zealous for the, the code of the Pharisees. I not only persecuted, but approved of those who did, who persecuted Christians. And again, I don't see many Christians persecuting other Christians this day and age. But I have seen misplaced zeal, especially on social media, where folks have boasted, look at my church, it has more lights and smokes and live animals than your church does. But our zeal cannot be in our church's entertainment. Our zeal must be for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The seventh thing Paul mentions here is how was he going to earn his salvation? He said, righteous by the law, keeping all 618 of those commands, blameless. Could you imagine someone coming up to you and saying, hey, I just want you to know, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong, never had a wrong thought. (laughs) That's basically what the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, believed. Can anyone truly say that they are blameless and have kept God's law perfectly? And if you've ever thought that just for a minute, go read the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just goes right at it. You think you've kept all these laws externally, but have you kept them in your heart? He has three chapters to show you that you have. (coughs) 
So what's wrong with all these things the Apostle Paul lists? Well, they are impressive, very impressive. This resume is unmatched by many. There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with us loving our country, loving our church, loving morality. But if that's where our hope is, if we're putting our confidence in those things, then that is confidence in the self and not in Jesus Christ. Again, it's easy to think that this, this passages like this and studying the scriptures, that this is just Bible talk and it doesn't really apply to me, but we need to be warned here. This is going straight for our hearts, especially for the 21st century hearts here. Because I've actually heard, I have heard with my own ears, professing Christians say to me that they don't really sin and haven't really had uh, uh, hard times in life with breaking God's law and, and, and being bad. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Are you serious? Sin is in all of our hearts. We've all sinned against God. And when you do that, when you speak like that, you are putting your confidence in your own flesh. You are denying glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are worshiping yourself. And this passage cautions us against that. Because of God's glory and his grace, we are not to put confidence in ourselves. We don't put our confidence in our education. We don't put our confidence in our social status. We don't put our confidence in the color of our skin. We don't put our confidence in ourselves. We boast in Christ. Paul's pastoral application for the Philippian church is a very practical application for us right here and right now. What or who are you putting your confidence in? Where is your hope? Is it in yourself? Or is it in Jesus? We all do this. We all have things. We all have people that we put our trust in other than Jesus. And when we find ourselves in this position, we need to repent. And we repent by turning away from ourselves, turning away from trusting in our own accomplishments, and turn to Christ and Him alone and proclaim with the Apostle Paul that our righteousness is from God. And that leads us from Saul to Paul, a changed man. You may recall the apostle Paul was radically converted on the Damascus Road. No no conversion really tops his. He's riding down the road and boom, the Lord Jesus comes to him and asks him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You can imagine, uh uh-oh. And here, God does a work of grace that only God could have done. I mean, on his way to to do more persecution. And his life is radically changed. Radically converted. And what did Paul, the changed man, what did he, upon his conversion, think of his impressive list of religious and ethnic credentials? What was all that to him now? He was willing to lose them all. He was willing to forsake them all because he found something much better. Really, someone found him 
who was much better, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would, 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 would you be willing to quit your job, leave your house, close all your bank accounts, just shut it all down because you believe that Christ is better? There are many of us in the church today, again, going back to just thinking about our own hearts, we're, we're kind of suspicious. We kind of believe, maybe in the back of our minds, that if we live a good enough life, if we, if we give to the church, if we help out the poor, then God would probably accept us. But this is sin. That is sinful to think that way. Because the gospel points us away from ourselves and points us to Christ and to trust in him alone. And this is why we must not compare ourselves to others, our careers, our parenting, our athletic ability, our education, etc., all these things, because Paul says very clearly, these things are rubbish. Rubbish. A big pile of trash in the street if you think that that is what pleases God. So would you be willing to forfeit it all? To follow Christ. But we can't think of following Christ as loss because, however, this math works out, Paul says, no, it's actually gain. He gained more from following Christ than any of these religious credentials he listed before could ever offer. He found life's ultimate satisfaction. So, yes, we lose. We lose this idea of trusting in ourselves and our impressive resumes. But when we follow Christ, we gain it all. We get it all. We gain Christ. We get Jesus. We get his righteousness. How do we get it? It's simple. We reject confidence in ourselves and we put our trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't stop there. And that's why he has this almost parenthetical thought here in verses 10 through 11. And he teaches us that the Christian life is about knowing Christ and gaining him more and more and more and more every day. How do we do this? How do we have this zeal and this passion for knowing Christ and gaining him more every day? It's by constantly feeding ourselves with the truth of the gospel. You know, there's all these studies coming out how people are addicted to Netflix, addicted to watching TV, and it's it's designed to be that way, addicted to phones and computers. But what would it look like to be addicted to the gospel? Well, I can tell you this, it's not going to just happen because you want it to happen. You're going to have to do something. And that doing something is exposing yourselves in every way possible to the means of grace. That means the preaching of the word. That means the sacraments. That means Bible study, prayer, community groups, everything possible to feed ourselves with the gospel. And when we do this, this is what helps us to turn away from ourselves and to turn to that which satisfies more. Knowing Jesus, knowing the righteousness that he imputes to us. And that's what the Apostle Paul was teaching here. He's he's saying that 
It's not by our righteousness that we'll be saved. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah says. And so the only way you could truly be saved is by an alien righteousness. And that is the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. And it's all yours by faith alone. That is where our hope is found. That is what this table reminds us of. There's no confidence in ourselves as we partake this meal. It's confidence in Christ. And so may God help us to to glory in our union with Christ, to to glory in his his death, his resurrection, even his sufferings, the Apostle Paul mentions here. Because when we glory in these things, when we are united to Christ in these things, again, even in suffering, we are sharing in the life of Christ. We are united to him. That's where our hope is found. This is where God promises to give us this resurrection life that the Apostle Paul so desperately craves here. This this resurrection life where he takes dead, spiritually dead, selfish, lifeless souls and breathes into us new lives where we become a new creation and found in Christ. So we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in our own abilities. We put our trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That is where our hope is found. And so may we be able to sing as we sang earlier. All we once held dear, but we count it as loss, as worthless, compared to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ more and more and more. May God help us to do so. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I think we could read this passage again and we could put our we could put our own name on it. And we could all confess that we too, like the apostle Paul, once put our confidence in the flesh and our in our own credentials, our, our families, our, our education, our bank accounts, lists on and on and on. But Lord, we know that's not where our hope is found. Forgive us where we have sinned against your grace and put our hope and our confidence in ourselves rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we are confronted by the truths here of your word, that you give us more of Jesus. Lord, we want to gain him more and more. We want to know him more and more. We want to share in his life and his death and his resurrection more and more and more. So by your spirit, would you strengthen us with the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.